0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. If you're able, please remain standing for today's uh, teaching text. If you need it, feel, feel absolutely free. This is from Matthew chapter seven verses 1 through to the end verse 12, come Holy Spirit do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you? If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We welcome Alan Emerson as he comes. This, this make him very uncomfortable, but Alan's the closest thing to a Christian celebrity I think we have in, uh, in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> um, and I realized, actually, because I think that, I didn't really introduce him in our 9.30 gathering. and just said, this is my friend, Alan, you know? Um, so A- Alan uh, heads up uh, part, part of the leadership team of Emmanuel in Lurgan. His wife and the team are planting Emmanuel in Portadown. He mm-hmm. helps oversee the Tabar network of churches and uh, the 24-7 prayer movement here in Ireland and in lots of different places. Uh, but more than anything, Alan loves Jesus. And uh, it is a privilege for us to have him with us this morning. So uh, it's also married to Rachel, three kids, Annie, Erin, and little Finn. Um, and um, Annie and Erin and Rachel were at our 9.30 gathering. It was brilliant to have them. So we join me as I pray for Alan? And uh, uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, the joy it is to travel with friends yes, and to get to do um, ministry together. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would come and speak to us through Alan. Yes. Thank you for how he stewards your presence, how he invests his life in your word. And uh, Lord, I just pray you'd release him and yourself upon us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <coughs> Thank you, Andy.
1: Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I... um. I'm from just outside Lurgan, as Andy says, but I'm actually living in Lisbon these days. So um uh, <laughs> can you can hear how posh you've become over the last um <laughs> <posh> hour. <laughs> um, not. Um <clears throat> it's really good to be with you and um it's really um privileged to be in Lagan in Valley Vineyard with you guys and it's such a joy to travel and journey with uh Andy and Dana as friends um and the uh, and the team here and um, and you guys, and as I, as, I, as I was saying earlier, it's just wonderful to, to get to, to do something together. And it feels like the God and his kindness, as much as we really believe this is for the nation, and it is, we also feel like the Holy Spirit is um, just in a really kind way, giving us the opportunity to do things together. And uh, Nua is, is one of those. And so we just really love you to come. We feel like, you know, one of the most important questions to ask somebody very wise that told me once is, when it comes to your life it's it's sometimes the primary question is not just what you're going to do but who you're going to be with yeah and uh, we don't really teach and preach that sometimes an awful lot but <clears throat> it's a good question to ask, particularly if you're younger as well and not just but who, who you're going to be with through life who are you going to travel with who are you going to journey with what sort of kingdom partners are going to come into your life and uh, and sometimes that's one of the main questions that we need to ask yeah and uh, and so it's great to be with you guys, not just on Sunday, but in spirit, and partnering together in the things of the Lord, uh, proper kind of gospel partnership. And it's actually all over the New Testament, but just not taught that well, yeah? And the Holy Spirit, I think, is doing and knitting together and um, people who have been friends for lots of years in deeper ways, but new convergences of kingdom connections and partnerships for a moment. For a season in in, in our time, and um, and so that's why I just think um, New is much more than just an event, and we we'd love you to be part of it. So it's also good to be here today, though, and to be opening up God's Word, Matthew chapter seven, Andy as as read. Um, I was doing some work on it this week and getting into the passage, and so hopefully some of the thoughts that I can share will will be helpful. If you don't mind, I'm going to just go through it again. Um, there 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 are um, <clears throat> In these 12 verses that Andy read already, there's probably about four different talks, okay? So don't worry, I'm just gonna do one, all right? Um, But hopefully we'll refer to um, the four different kind of sections in them. So so let me just point those out to you and they'll come up in four different kind of ways on the screens, okay? So the first verse uh, from, from verse one, chapter seven, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. There's that word on they? <coughs> <laughs> First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay? That's kind of like a section in itself. Okay? Um, then the next verse. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. There's another sermon in that, okay? Third, third sermon, verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, Receive. And the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread and will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? And then the, f- the final section, So when everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Lots of brilliant, brilliant truth and wisdom in these words of Jesus to unpack. But as I say, within sort of 30-35 minutes, I can't really preach um, four di- four different talks on each of those. But I am going to do my best to weave in um, what uh, all, all of what's there. Although focusing mostly probably on the on the last on the last verse. There's a, there's a talk there on how we how we judge. There's a talk on not throwing pearls before swine. There's a talk on persistent prayer, and there's a talk on what we now call the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And different theologians as they look at this book have probably come to the conclusion that <clears throat> that these verses are probably more, in this particular passage, a, a, a group of eclectic kind of sayings of Jesus that have been put together. And while they're connected in the sense that Jesus said them all, we maybe shouldn't read more into the connection than what we see at face value. But as I say, I'm going to try my best to weave them in. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of broader framework. So uh, just stepping out of this passage a little bit and looking at some of the broader framework of what Matthew is really teaching in from chapters 4 to 9 or 10. So hopefully you can stick with me and this will make sense in a moment. Okay, if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, or sorry, it's on the screens. You don't have to turn, you can if if you'd like to. Verse 23 Um, It tells us, at the end of Matthew chapter four, it tells us this verse. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction amongst the people. Now, if, if you know the Bible a little bit and the flow of Matthew, as you've been going through it here on Sunday mornings, you'll know that this is near the end of Matthew four, and then we kick into Matthew chapter five. And Matthew chapter five is the Sermon on the Mount. This is where all the teachings of Jesus come from. Matthew chapter 5 and 7 tells us lots of Jesus' teaching in Matthew and proclaiming the concept and the rule and reign of God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 then tell us a lot about the Jesus' healing, the sick, loads of examples of Him performing signs and wonders. And if you look in this verse in Matthew chapter 4, it tells us these three things teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. So for a moment, I want you to think about this verse like the opening of the brackets, okay? It's like Matthew saying, here's Jesus, and here's what he's gonna do. He's, he's gonna proclaim the kingdom, he's gonna teach in the synagogues, and he's gonna heal the sick. Then what Matthew is telling us is you were, if you were just to flick through your Bible in front of you, you would see Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is him teaching and proclaiming. And then you would see Matthew 8 and 9, um, him healing the sick. And then when we get to the end of Matthew chapter 9, they check out how similar this verse is to the one we've just read. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. It's like the closing of the brackets. If we want to get in a very simple way an understanding of what Jesus' mission was looked like, what the methodology, if you want to use that phrase, of his mission actually was, we could sum it up in these three, um, th- three uh, sentences or three themes on the, on the screen. Yeah, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He taught a radically new message of sacrificial love and he healed every disease and affliction. So it's like Matthew saying, open brackets, here's what Jesus is going to do. It's Matthew showing us Jesus actually doing it. It's Matthew closing the brackets to say that this is what Jesus has just done. And then when you open up in Matthew chapter 10, next slide, it'll tell us that Jesus basically said, right now it's your turn. Jesus called his disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And as you go, proclaim the message the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give, right? And the gospel writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but there is like real literary genius going on here as well. It's important that we understand. And this is kind of helpful because Jesus wants us to be immersed. Matthew wants us to be immersed in Jesus' sayings and the example Jesus showed us and how he lived out the kingdom. And then Jesus is obviously saying to the disciples, go and have a trial run at this basically because I want you to do what I do. And when I was in school, um, I can still hear the English teacher saying, if you want to write a good essay, your introduction, in your introduction, write what you're going to say. Then write what you actually say. And then in your conclusion, write what you've just said. Anybody ever hear something like that, Right. It's like, anyway, that's a bit like what Matthew's doing here, only much more interesting than what any English essay I ever had to write was, okay? And so in, in the vineyard, I know that you guys are massively into healing the sick and releasing that and being trained in that and being trained in the prophetic, as I've just heard, sounds like a great day. I'm just feeling a bit sorry for the pig, but apart from that, it's, 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 it sounds like a great day to, 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 to be at. Um, And uh, I know that you're um, in the proclamation of the kingdom, even what we saw, and you're hearing stories from yesterday, healing in the streets, is both of them, isn't it really, the proclamation of the kingdom, good news, is kind of entering in and hurtling into our world, a new kingdom is coming, and these are all the possibilities that that opens up for holistic freedom and healing in our lives, souls, and bodies, yeah? Um, And so I'm not gonna speak too much more on them other than to say, keep doing that and keep inspiring us as you do that. But what I do want to talk about is that kind of middle one, that, that one about teaching this message of love, because that's what the text is really getting at today in Matthew chapter seven. And there really are incredible words. And I want to focus mostly on verse 12, which I think is on the screen, which has become to become known as what the, the golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you for this sums up the law and the prophets. These are really, really significant words, particularly into the Jewish context, which I'm gonna try and explain for a few moments. Has is, um, is anybody ever, you know, anybody grew up in a home where their mum or someone like that or granny would have said this to you? Like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or you heard a school teacher say, well, these, these are, are the words of Jesus, and let's like try and locate them in their context this morning. Because what Jesus is getting at here, the real dominant essence and the inner nature of everything that Jesus is saying and teaching, actually the whole dominant essence of the Scriptures itself and God's desire for humanity and mankind are being found in these words. If we are to strip them back and unpack them a little more, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this in these words. Now what, what does that mean? Now, there was the Pharisees had summarized the law or the Torah, which was the five first books of the Bible, into 613 commands, okay? 613 commands, 248 of those were, act, or sorry, 1600, 1613 rules, 248 of those they saw as commands, 365 of those, those they saw as prohibitions, like do not do, and then they had their, they bolstered that up with 1,521 emendations, like like almost the appendices of the rules and the laws that they counted up. That's how they understood the Torah. And Jesus is saying in this statement, all the law and the prophets can be summed up in this. This is huge. This is a huge moment. And um and and the other thing that's helpful to understand is there was lots of different rabbis in the Jewish world at that time, who all had different interpretations of the law. So they interpreted the laws around Sabbath and what food you could eat and couldn't eat, laws around purity, um, all of those kind of things They had different, a different take on, a different interpretation of, a different kind of, whatever you want to call it, doctrine of. <laughs> and so when the rabbi would have taken some of the brightest and best young men who had come through the school system, where they basically memorized most of the Old Testament, And if they were looking like they were capable and proficient enough to follow that rabbi, that rabbi would say, come and walk with me in my ways. It was sometimes called, take my yoke upon you, carry the yoke, my understanding of the the law and follow in those ways. And so different like rabbinical schools would have had like disagreements and there would have been factions between different rabbis and their different understandings of the law and how they should be lived out. The Hebrew word for for to walk was kind of um, extrapolated into the word halakha, and that became the way that they individually and collectively walked in the rulings and the interpretations of different rabbis who wanted to fulfill the law. Heavy kind of stuff, right? That actually took it really seriously. They just got the heart and substance of it wrong, which is what we're gonna see. And so this is a helpful context for us because it's into this culture that Jesus walks and basically all the men that didn't get picked to follow the other rabbis, Jesus says to some of them, tax collectors, zealots, fishermen, guys on the building side practically, and he just said, follow me. And they would have known what that meant. They would have known that this means leaving everything to follow and to walk in the way of the rabbi. And that they were going to follow in his interpretation of the law. And incidentally, what Jesus was basically saying was, which is profound, I believe you can be like me. And so start to follow me. And so God, um, Jesus is identifying something on people that were on almost outside the system. And saying follow me and then he's saying to them not just them in this context of matthew chapter 7 he's saying all of the law all of these 613 kind of different rules and all the different interpretations all of them can be summed up in this do unto others as you would do on as you would have them do unto you for this is the sum of all the law and the prophets To understand this a little bit more, I want us to jump to Matthew 22, kind of like a sister verse for this. And we call this passage the the Jesus Creed. And this time in Matthew chapter 22, um, they come to Jesus and they ask him, what is the greatest command? So it's like these people who are really into like part of their Bible, and they're really studying it and give a lot of thought to it and trying to work out the most scriptural, the most kind of holy way that they can live it all out and how they're the real true Israelites and the real true people of God. As they kind of go through this whole process, they're trying to like trick Jesus a little bit too and they're trying of go, right, well, get him on what he thinks the greatest commandment is. And this time, they throw in the heavies. They bring a, a lawyer. It's like, oh, he's going to sort them out. Like he, he knows it all. He knows like article... You know seven point whatever and uh, he'll be able to deal with this and so it says one of them a lawyer asked jesus a question to test him teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law and he said to them you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul and all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment at this point they would all have said yes and amen to that because every jew at that time said this particular scripture at least probably once a day, if not twice or three times. It's taken from Deuteronomy chapter six, right? He's quoting the law. He's quoting the Old Testament here, Jesus. And he's, it, this prayer is called the Shema in Hebrew. And with Shema means to hear, because the scripture is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so any good Jew who was listening to Jesus at that point would say, Yes, we we know that's the greatest. That's what we would have said too. Jesus, when he was a little boy, would have have grown up sitting on Mary's lap in the morning and in the evening and with his other brothers and sisters, and they would have said this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. But then Jesus does something that's just pure brilliance and genius. He then says, to finish the verse, and the second... (laughs) is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. This is a scripture taken from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, if you uh, jump onto the next slide, you'll see it. Jesus takes these two commandments from the Old Testament and he puts them together and saying, the second one is like the first one, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then he says that same thing. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus in these moments was reinterpreting, reframing, revolutionizing the law, helping them understand the true inner essence of why the law was given. He was revolutionizing the law, reframing it around love, and he was also reordering the world. He was about to flip the world upside down. I think that little statement's on the next slide. And the, the genius of it all, the genius of Jesus uh, bringing these two verses together to revolutionize the Torah, the law, and to, um, uh, to reorder the world, he was using the law to do it. He, he, he wasn't, in one way, he wasn't saying anything new, and in another way, he was changing the whole thing. Because Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, you probably looked at it in your series, I did not come to abolish the law, but I actually came to fulfill it. I came to reveal what it truly is and what it's truly like. And he puts these two verses together to show us what he's always been trying to say, what God has always been trying to get across. And so he says, I think this is on the screen as well, he was saying the central moral category for the kingdom message is love, sacrificial love. The way that you have, the way that you look at your scriptures, the way that you understand what God has always been trying to say, Jesus is saying all the law and the prophets can be summarized. Loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself. The vertical has to be reflected in the horizontal. That's why the cross has both a vertical and a horizontal. And it all comes together, as we'll see in a moment, not just in these words of Jesus, but in the life and the death of Jesus. And he said all of these hang on these two commandments. And, And what I want to try and get across this morning is Jesus is revealing in these moments the inner depths of what God has always been trying to say. He's not taking away from the Torah or from the law, he's actually intensifying it. He's showing its true essence. Jesus is revealing here and speaking to a radically different spirituality that he wants to see in his followers. When Jesus came on the scene, he came into an unfolding story, didn't he? The story of God had been unfolding and, and God had always wanted a people who would love him and would love him like he loved them. That's what God's still looking for, by the way. People will come into a love relationship, covenantal love in the same way as he loves them. That lo- we'll love him with everything. We'll, we'll not be divided in our hearts, as the psalmist would say. And out of that love will come a love for our, our, our neighbor. And that's what, well, that's what God has always been getting at. When I, when I went to, I, went, I, I, studied, I studied, I did a master's in theology when I left school and when I left um, when I left university i went and did another masters and whatever and uh, i don't remember loads of it right and i had to learn hebrew as well and i remember even less of that right but the one hebrew word that i did learn and i've never really forgotten is the word hesed and it uh, it's the word for steadfast love in the old testament or unfeeling love right so when you're reading the old testament you see the word steadfast love or unfeeling love it's the word hesed in Hebrew. Actually, the book of Ruth is full of it, right? And that was the nature of the kind of love that God wanted to build the laws and commands upon. So somebody very wise, he taught me that word, told me that if you can imagine the commands, not as just a list of rules, like the school rules that we used to have to write if we were naughty, right? But like if you can see the laws as the building blocks of hesed love, they were like the foundation of hesed, steadfast love lived out in an embodied way by God's people. So God always wanted his people not just to be a bunch of nice people, but he wanted them to be people that actually reflected his character. I want you to be a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, um, and a holy nation, a holy nation. A holy nation not means just cleaning up your act, it means to actually take on the very character and nature of God. The best vision that you can have for your life actually is Christ-likeness, to become like him. And that's what the, I think the essence of discipleship is. Here's, here's a good thing for you to think about when it comes to discipleship. Who would Jesus be if he was you? Who would Jesus be? What would you like, look like if Jesus was living his life in, in you? In the unique way that He has created you, how would you become like Him? And God has always wanted people and a community to look like Him. But because people didn't connect with that properly, and because their views of God got um, shifted through their own sense of self and power and ego and all of that, then what happened was the law didn't become about the encounter that God wanted to have his people, of which the guidelines and rules that he gave them came out of, their spirituality became determined about their external functioning around the law, and they judged themselves against other people and how better they kept it than them. And it it became this um, external form of holiness that wasn't the true spirituality of the heart that Jesus really longed for. And the prophets the prophets came in at a time, mostly when the people were in exile or during the time of the kings in the Old Testament, and they were saying, this was their primary complaint to the people of God. You don't know him. I mean, I know you have the odd sacrifice and you still bring things to the tabernacle, and you try to keep some of the rules, but you don't know him. The, the Hebrew phrase was dath elohim, which came from the verb yada, which means to know in Hebrew, right? And to know in the Bible, is more than a mild form of acquaintance. When Adam in Genesis 1 it tells us Adam knew Eve and they conceived and had a child. Now in my brain I think if he knew her and they conceived and had a child that means he knew her right and well, right? (laughs) It, it, It means like he wasn't just a friend with her on Facebook, right? She didn't just, like, they didn't follow him on Instagram and they conceived and had a child, right? He really knew her, right? And um, when it co- so when it comes to the Bible, when it says the word no, it means something very deep, very exclusive, very intimate, very pure, very wholehearted surrender, yeah? It, it, the giving of oneself in a moment to be known in a way that, Nobody else knows you. That's the power and the beauty of what and, and the, of, of this word and this idea and what God has always longed for. And the people have missed this. And so when Jesus is saying all the law and the prophets, the prophets, that's what they were complaining about, all of this can be summed up in this. The inner essence of this is all wholehearted, surrendered love. That's what he's getting at. And the Pharisees had missed this. There was no inward appropriateness, posture of the heart towards surrendering to God in wholehearted love. It was more about how can I basically impress others with my spirituality. That's what it's become. And Jesus came into that, and he had to rock the world. Because here's the thing, the religious spirit, the legalistic spirit, is sometimes the hardest one to get rid of. Sometimes it's the hardest one to deal with. And the self-deceit that comes with it sometimes is the one that has the darkest shadow. But Jesus wanted to set people free. He wanted people to not be born of the flesh, but born of the spirit. You can't be part of the kingdom, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born from above, unless you're born of the spirit, something is gonna happen to you over and above yourself that's gonna be an inside job. This is, this is an inside work. This is a spirituality of the hearts. Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips. I don't know where your hearts are. I don't know you. And so all of these sayings and teachings of Jesus are coming, all of these parables, all of these stories. Jesus is trying to get inside their head to shake up their imaginations for another type of spirituality that looks like him. And and um. And so what we need to realize is Jesus wasn't introducing in the Sermon on the Mount a new form of legalism. Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, when Jesus is teaching, he's not teaching laws. He is teaching what it's like to live under the rule of heaven. This is what it looks like. Essentially, what Jesus is saying, if you want to see what the law looks like, if you want to see what the Torah looks like, if you want to know what the fulfillment of that is, it looks like me. Jesus has put a face on the Torah. Scott McKnight puts it like that. He says, the the Torah has come to its goal. It has taken on the face of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And following him in sacrificial love, wholehearted love to God the Father, and wholehearted love flowing out of that towards our neighbor, that's what looks like Jesus. And if you do that, you fulfill the law. Jesus said again was revolutionizing the law and he was reordering the world. He wasn't just handing out tickets to heaven. He was rearranging the whole world and he was calling it the kingdom of God. A new kingdom ethic was being introduced. And and what I want to say today that's really important is after all i've just said is what's important that you don't hear is that in jesus summing up the law in this sentence in one way he was making it easier for us to understand and in one way he was helping us to realize how it all was summarized and crystallized in sacrificial love but what is really important to hear is in another way he, he wasn't making it easier he was coming to fulfill the law Which is why he said to the Pharisees, or to the people, sorry, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they might do all this external stuff to impress others with their spirituality, but here's the thing, they haven't died. (laughs) They haven't died to themselves. They haven't given up themselves for another spirit to come and take control of their lives. Completely, it was not where it was an even higher bar. So this love that I'm talking about today, please hear me in this. It's not, um, it's not some free love, hippie type kind of. I, you see, most of the Bible words that we have today, we need to redefine them because the world, the world is. We need, we don't need to redefine them from the Bible. We need to get back to the Bible to redefine how they become used in our culture. Right? Love is not Love Island. In case you just weren't aware, okay? It's just, that's not love. That is, the, the, and, and so like I know it's kind of playful in one way, but in another way, it's just like it annoys me that like we have to take probably 15, 20 minutes before we talk about love anymore in church to actually deconstruct the word again, because it's become the mean something else in culture that isn't what the Bible says it is. In fact, it's the antithesis of it. And we need to like Kung Fu kick some of these things in the face, get them out of the church, reconfigure them, re-understand them, and think, think about things biblically, right, and think it's how God, because it's not love is God, it's God is love, right, and God defines what love is in and of himself, he is, I'm going to preach another sermon here about the Trinity, I won't, right, but God God, God is love, and and so when Jesus comes, he's unpacking that, and he's showing us that, so I want you to understand, what I'm saying in one way, Jesus is simplifying it for us, in another way, what I want us to hear today, and this is the big challenge with it, he's actually calling us to to a deeper level of surrender than the Pharisees ever got to, no matter how holy they looked. He's calling us to lay down our lives. This is the kind of life that's going to cost you. We get to accept the free gift of God's grace. We get to accept it all as gift, as kindness, as love. and and. Uh, not of ourselves, lest we should boast. It's something that we get by laying ourselves down, but it's going to cost us everything. And as we receive that abundance of life, we walk into the fullness of what Jesus has for us as his followers. But we have to, we have to lay something down. We have to allow our postures to, to buy. We have to choose to be crucified with Christ because Jesus is actually asking us, <laughs> he's actually asking us to follow him into that death in order that we might follow him into his life. And he's the prototype human being. He's the one who went before, he's the firstborn of humanity. He's the first fruits of what it is to be a truly human being, to to, to die in order that we might live. And we, thank God, don't have to die the way he died because he did it for us, but he asks us to identify with him in death so that we might rise up in his life, which is why baptism is not just some sentimental thing that you're going to do in a few weeks' time, it's actually, sometimes when I baptize, and baptize people, I'm so passionate about it, I want to put them under three or four times, you know, but I know that wouldn't be right, but it's in the name of the Father and the Son and, the, you know, and the Holy Spirit, because something in me, it's a radical, subversive, revolutionary act to say our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ and we are dying to every other allegiance that we have. We're surrendering to every other allegiance to say we are dead to that in order to live to the rule and reign of Jesus' coming. And it will look like in our lives, it will look like sacrificial love. And so what I want to say is Jesus wasn't just saying this. He was, but he was doing much more than saying it. He would embody it in his life, in the way he lived his life, in the way he laid his life down for others, in the way he took up the towel, in the way he served the woman caught in the act of adultery and the way he poured out his life and the way he thought more of others than he did himself. And ultimately he did this when he was on the cross. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way, Father? Like a 33 year old man, never been married, deserted by his closest friends, completely on his own, completely caught up in the loneliness and his humanity of the moment. Is there, any, is there any, so much so that he's sweating great drops of blood. Is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. He sets his face like a flint and he goes to the cross to fully live out. This message that we're looking at this morning, Robert Jensen puts it like this. There was a there there has lived a man holy for others. I love that. There has lived a man holy for others. Imagine that as a testimony for a church. There has been a church holy for others. All the way to death, and he has risen, so that his self-giving will finally triumph. This is the inner essence of the message of Jesus. And so with that kind of in mind, that bedrock of what it means to do unto others, as you would have them do unto you, because this is the fulfillment of the law. Just for a few moments before we close, we can go back to the start of that chapter, the chapter or the passage on judging, and we can realize that in this kingdom, Jesus is king. And God alone is judge and so if we want to love others as we want to be loved and that's going to define and articulate what the kingdom of God on the earth looks like then Jesus is saying we're not going to do that in this kingdom no no judging God alone is judge in fact Jesus like gets pretty comical and he says in fact if you want to judge you need to sort your own house out first, basically. Like that wee speck that you see in somebody else's life that you love to have a wee kind of chat about when you're out for coffee with your friends. You would be safer off looking at the big plank that's stuck on your own face. Like that's exactly what Jesus kind of, like essentially what Jesus is trying to say. It's kind of like, all right, Jesus, you know? But that's what he's getting at. He's like, you know, just like bef- before you're too quick to speak, just like zip it. Yeah, just, and, and more than just like kind of zip it and don't enter into it, just like take a wee look down into your own heart. Before you judge somebody in the way they're parenting, judge somebody in the way they're raising their kids, ju- judge somebody because of worse of where they go to or where they're from or whatever, if you do any of that, we don't do that in this kingdom. It doesn't, it doesn't happen here. In this kingdom, we're not, we're not gonna judge we're, we're gonna be, be different. This kingdom is gonna look like a lack of condemnation, a lack of accusation. It's gonna look like a lack of the smug entitlement that we all kind of take on, that we even subliminally start to judge ourselves as slightly better than somebody else. And Jesus is saying, how do you really deal with that stuff? Because in, in my kingdom, in and through the new thing that's happening, it's got to look like Christ. It's got to look like me. Jesus is saying, the rule and reign of God looks like a society marked by humility, love for the neighbor and for enemy. It looks like reconciliation and one-heartedness. John Wesley said, the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking about in another, is thinking about another person in a way that is contrary to love. Essentially, when you judge, you stop being loving. And I know that maybe sounds like an overstatement, but that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is reframing what his kingdom looks like. In the context of a really good father who wants to give good gifts, and he wants us to overflow with that same level of kindness, and that looks like not, not judging. Scott McKnight puts it like this. He says, when Je- what Jesus does here, I think it's on the screen, what Jesus does here is complex He creates self-awareness leading to self-judgment. This leads to humility, which in turn leads to repentance and sanctification. This leads to the kind of humility that treats other sinners with mercy and creates a kingdom society shaped not by condemnation, but humility, love, and forgiveness. Beautiful. One of the things you have to fight for the most, one of the things that I've had to fight for the most with our leadership team, first of all in our own hearts, but then in, in our church, is a religious spirit. If you, wanna, if you wanna create a church that has radical grace, you're gonna, not ha- you're gonna have to be not intimidated by the religious spirit. That in its kind of outward expressing holiness introduces a mild judgment into the church. And Jesus says, no, 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 we don't do that in this kingdom. In fact, later on in the scriptures, it says, if judgment has to begin somewhere, it begins in the house of God. But the way that we're gonna become more like Christ is not by judgment, but it's gonna be a vision of the goodness of God reflected in and through the person of Jesus in line with the holy scriptures, which he's given us. And that's gonna be tricky today. It's already tricky today. We live in a world Full of anger, that's full of pride, that's full of criticism. The right, who maybe for years have been oppressive and fundamental and, you know, kind of like had that sort of form of pride and judgment. And now the left's rising up, counteracting that, and maybe counteracting some of the things that I don't agree with the way the right has carried themselves for years. But what I'm hearing in the left's tone is the same level of anger just in a different way. Anger, pride, judgment. And as the people of God, we're, we're called to a different kind of politics. And it's the politics of Jesus shown in all the things that you're, you're looking. It's, it's described and defined by the words of Jesus. And I feel like as, a, as we longing for the Lord to pour out his new wine and to do something in us, it's almost like I feel like the Lord, what the Lord's doing with us and what he's doing with you guys here, and I can sense it even just being here this morning. It's just like a fresh plumb line of what does this thing, this new thing that we're sensing the Lord doing, and how does this line up actually in our lives? And there's no better place to go than the teachings of Jesus. We need to know the difference between moral discernment and personal condemnation. So we need to morally discern some stuff at the moment, very much so. I'm not even saying it's wrong to say, I don't agree with that. I think that's not right. I think that's actually bad. I'm not even saying you can't say that. In fact, I think we need to say that. We're certainly not supposed to be being silent at the moment. at the same time, we need to start with our own hearts because we very quickly get into personal condemnation. We take the place of God and God says, he alone is judge. And so we need great wisdom, we need one another. We need to be in a place where we are committed and our hearts are submitted, I believe, to the local church, to local community, the people that will hold us and love us in check, that we keep our hearts pure and soft, that we keep doing what we're doing in worship, like this morning, getting the vision of Jesus, getting the vision of his beauty. See, most of the church today doesn't actually have a vision for Christ-likeness. Most of the church today, at times, don't really believe that you can actually become, Jesus actually loves us enough to become like him. And therefore, we try to get through with the odd wee kind of discipleship thing here and there to kind of clean us up a bit. But what I think the Lord wants to really reintroduce by his spirit is a vision for Christ-likeness. And that then we'd all get maybe even slightly more practical with our lives and go, what's it gonna take? What rhythms am I going to need to introduce? What things are going to have to go in order for me to become like Jesus, in order for me to become that loving person that's able to move into a place where I can do unto others as I would love them to do unto me. We need need to get practical about that kind of stuff. St. Augustine said that all sin, in a sense, was a lack of love. That the essence of sin was a disordered form of love. And so what happens in the presence of God is, and when we practice being in His presence, what starts to happen is our hearts get reordered. The things that our hearts are tethered to start to get cut off, and our hearts start to get reordered and rehabited in the love of God. <laughs> and the way that sin was dealt with was ultimately through a, an ultimate act of love. In what jesus did on the cross and so as we learn to follow jesus into that death he fills us more with his love he reorders our hearts in his love and he allows us to reflect him more and more and so as we kind of draw this to a close maybe the guys want to come up I, I just i'd love to pray this morning uh, um <clears throat> i hope that helps you as you study um, maybe even on your own a little bit more of Matthew and the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be like. And, um, and I wanna pray that a fresh measure of the purity of the love of Jesus would rain down upon you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that it would come upon you in such a, in such a really powerful way and I've, I've had the journey in this myself because I've been brought up in the church all my life I know how to do the Christian thing you know but the more I look at Jesus he just keeps wrecking my entitled mindsets you know it's like the guy you know like the the woman that came in when Jesus had to tell him the story the first Simon the Pharisee and Jesus told the story about who owed more and who would be forgiven more. And he said, well, I suppose the one that was forgiven much. And, <clears throat> and Jesus said, yeah, that she would enter the kingdom because she loved much. The entrance to the kingdom is goes right back into our hearts. <laughs> and maybe just this morning as we close, the Holy Spirit wants, to, um, wants, to, wants us to tend to our hearts. And um, I said something like this in the first service as well, but just as I've been here this morning, I just, I really believe, just encourage you, I believe the eye of the Lord is on this place. I'm not saying that casually, by the way, I just really, really mean. I believe the Lord wants this church to be like truly a city on a hill that will shine bright. There will be moments in the future i believe where there will be incredible incredible moments of the holy spirit falling in this place wherever you wherever you go next but in this area i, I believe there are going to be moments of true like god's here i just know he's here and his presence is going to unravel hearts You know, we're going to keep being faithful to preaching the Word. We're going to keep being faithful to, like, loving them, doing all that stuff. But there's going to be moments where His presence is going to do stuff that you've never seen before and I've never seen before. My my encouragement to you is that we want these moments to become movements. You know, I'm longing to get there with all of you, hopefully. Say, God. Come in this moment in time, pour yourself out upon us. We're so need you. We're so desperate for you to come in our own hearts and in our nation and our lives but we really long, aren't we, for these moments to become movements and that actually look like Jesus. And I don't know what other, other way to say this uh, uh, this morning other than I, I believe, and it felt like the Lord whispered something like this to me a number of weeks ago when I was thinking about coming here, I believe that God wants this to be, um, and it is well on the way actually already, but a world-class church. Now when I say that, I don't mean some kind of slick performing thing. I, I can't think of a better phrase to be honest, but I mean, feel like there's there's people that will want to come here and I have this dream for my church right because I don't know how to do anything else I can I used to play football too for that right so I don't really know how to do anything else other than to, to kind of be involved in church and lead church right but I, I, I want to be part of the best church that I could ever be part of and when I say that nothing in me means all the metrics that we use for that. I just want to be part of giving my life to something that makes Jesus look beautiful. That it's actually a bride that has looked like she's really prepared herself to walk up that aisle, like giving everything that she's got. That's what I really want to be part of. I want to give my life for that. I want to see multiple of those, right? But I want to be part of that. And, 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 but, but, and so if people ever come to that, if people would ever choose to come to Lurgan, right? To see what God might be doing, And they say to us something like, Well, well, you know, my deepest desire is when they see it, it's just the real deal. And and that it just looks like Jesus. It just like. Like people can come up to the front and get prayer and fall down and the worship will be great and they'll get good tea and coffee and hopefully the building will be half decent and all of that, but more than anything, that they'll just walk away with an encounter of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit moving and have people that actually look like Jesus. People that actually have a vision to become like Christ. That, that's my deepest desire. And I feel like God is releasing in this place a fresh grace to be a city on a hill moments where people will be sent to the nations, moments where you'll do things that will ripple all through the nations. But when people actually come and they say, what did you do to get here? Andy or Dana or Stu or whoever will just go, just did the first things. We just loved God with everything we got. Then we took the charge to love every human being that we come into contact with like the way we would like to be loved and we took his word serious and we welcomed the holy spirit and we were waiting for his return wouldn't it be brilliant like you didn't have to write a whole book of all the great things that you did but like you could just say that's what we just focused on and i just feel like in these moments the holy spirit oh just, just once there's just water falling here and there's water falling and in, 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 in the skies right I just feel like in these moments, sorry, I know we're out of time. I just, I'd love to pray. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to release that grace. And um, last wee thing to say before I do that, we are we planted in the Port of down, and we're gonna get moved out of our building. And um, it wasn't we in about three weeks time. Not quite sure where we're going yet, so you can pray for us, right? But um, I was walking through our we, we meet in the High Street and poor down I was walking through it and uh, we're in this old shop like we don't even have a proper sign over our building in fact there's a sign over our building that still says faith jewelers moved to and I was thinking this is like terrible like we haven't even managed to get a website up properly yet you know and it's like we really need to get our act together and kind of get the word out a bit and stuff all of that and, and um, But it's kind of been beautiful in the hiddenness, all that the Lord has done. And I felt the Holy Spirit say this to me. He said, you can raise the profile if you lower the posture. And uh, this is what I sense for you guys this morning. I feel like the profile, not because you're looking at it, but the profile is going to rise. But it's directly proportionate to how low you go as you lower the posture. And so i just, I'd love to pray and release. I feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to release that on you as we finish today. So if you resonate with that, would you stand with me? I'm sorry I'm so slightly over time here, but just let me, I'd love to pray for you, okay? So. Yeah, so just... just just quickly, if you feel like that this is something that you actually do need to kneel with, and you just want to come to the front or get out into the aisle, and say, oh, "I really feel you speaking to me, this Lord, this morning," and you just you just want to connect with that sense of God, I, I feel like you want to do something, but I want to connect with the, the lowering in order for you to do all that you want to do. So, just in these moments, so Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We want to love you with all of our hearts. We want to love you with all of our souls and all our minds. Jesus, we want to love our neighbors as we would like to be loved, as you loved us, God. Lord, I just want to pray in these moments right across this body, God. I want to speak, Lord, your plans and purposes and destiny into being. Lord, we just want to pray that you would release, God, that posture, O God, that grace to bow to whatever that means, to count the cost, to lay it all out before you for your glory. Jesus, I just prophesy, Lord, in the days ahead that this place will ooze with the gentle power of Jesus himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. We thank you, Jesus, that that Spirit will not quench, snuff out a smoldering flak, nor will it stamp upon a bruised reed. And so I pray that the gentle grace of Jesus, which contains the power that raises the dead, O God, would be released in these moments through this place on your people. Call a fresh Holy Spirit. Your presence, just allow the Holy Spirit to rest on you, just allow him to come, 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 beautiful Jesus, beautiful Jesus, We we worship you, we worship you, we worship.